Hi, you're listening to Manufactured, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. I'm your host, Kim von der Weert, a student of human rights, turned garment factory manager, turned sustainable fashion critic. On this show, I talk to some of the most integral people who manufacture what we wear. They aren't the people you see in fashion magazines. They're the people behind closed doors working in fashion supply chains. This episode is part of a mini-series that explains how different fabrics are made. We're going back to basics and asking industry insiders questions like, what are the production processes behind different fabrics? Who are the players involved? What are their incentives? And more. Because it's hard to have a conversation about how to make a material better or how to make a garment better if we don't understand how it's made in the first place. When we talk about how fabrics are made, we usually think of specific types of materials. But for this episode, I wanted to hone in on one of the final stages of production in apparel manufacturing. To do that, I'm joined by Rita Castro and Dionisia Portela from Confetil, a Portuguese garment manufacturer that has been supplying brands all over the world since 1960. At Confetil, Dionisia is sustainability manager and Rita is the sales and commercial manager for four of the company's customers. They tell me more about the processes that give finished garments the look and feel that brands aim for, from how graphics are added to a t-shirt, to how we might go about getting that on-trend vintage look even when the garment's actually brand new. We talk different types of dyes and dyeing processes, and they emphasize how, when it comes to sustainability, it's not enough to just focus on material type, but equally important to understand the ins and outs of different production processes as well. Rita and Dionisia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Let's start with some quick introductions. My name is Dionisia and I work at Confetil. I am the sustainability manager and I have the responsibility to put in practice the actions that can lead the company to have a more responsible production, let's put it like this. I'm Rita. I'm sales and commercial manager in Confetil for four of the customers Confetil has, so high quality brands. So my main role is to deal with the customers, the different brands, because they are, at least the four brands I have, they are very creative, really a lot uh, of creation on their minds. And then I have to more or less explain them how we can put that in a production process. I want to start with something very basic. So let's say a designer wants to make a very basic t-shirt, only one solid color, let's say a jersey t-shirt. You know, what are the different ways that this happens? You know, are you purchasing fabric that's already dyed? Are you working with a dye house? Do you ever dye the garment after it's been assembled? How might this work? Well, we can have different ways uh, to approach this. What usually we do the most, we buy raw fabric that afterwards we send to one of our partners to a dyeing house uh, to dye the fabric. So when you say raw, describe it. What color is it? What does it look like? Uh, well, it's not white. It's kind of like a off-white, yellowy, yeah. not yellow, but like beige-ish kind of color. Yes, beige, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, this is what we call uh, the raw. So, and, and we send it to one of uh, our partners in order to, to dye the, the fabric. 
Of course, we can also have some cases where we already buy the fabric that it was already dyed. We have also that option. So, and what would drive the decision making? In what kind of cases would you buy fabric that's already dyed versus starting with Grige and then working with a dye house to dye it? What might drive that decision? When you have a roll dye, the customers normally call it piece dye. It's more clean. The color is always more clean. More You will have a more clean t-shirt. The seams will be very clean. The color itself. When you go for garment dye level, so dyeing the, the garment itself after the garment is soon, you always have this more washed effect. So it depends a lot on what the kind of product you want to achieve. What's a washed effect? It's more... I would not say vintage because it, it is not to, to achieve a vintage look. We, we have to do some other things, but you can see that the color is not so plain. It's not so clean. So you can see a different on the seams. The seams will have this uh, a bit used effect, but sometimes the customers, they want to go for that garment eye level is also because of the quantities, because sometimes when they don't have Big quantities is easier to dye in a garment level than in a roll level that we need to respect a minimum quantity to dye. Otherwise, we may have quality issues. So if you're producing a smaller order, you might be more inclined to dye after the t-shirt's been assembled, whereas if you have large quantities, you'd maybe dye the whole roll. Yes, sometimes I advise the customers if they have five colors, they use the same fabric, but they are only selling a few quantities per color. I say, maybe you should stick to the fabric. Okay, we can buy grage fabric. So the grage, the beige, we sew the garment and then we can dye 100 or 200 or whatever it is per color. But instead, if you want to go for roll dye, you need to dye the minimum quantity in that color on the dye house. And can you give a sense of what that minimum quantity might be? So in terms of roll dye, normally at least we need to dye 25 kilos. So we always work in kilos internally in our company. The customers always talk about meters. All the customers, no one talks about kilos. <laughs> yeah. So we always need to make this conversion internally. It depends from kilos to meters. It always depends on the weight and width of the, of the fabric. Each fabric will have a different calculation at the end. But our minimum order quantities internally are 300 pieces per color, mostly because of the quality. So we don't have any issues on the quality of the color. We should dye at least fabric for 300 garments. Can you describe or paint a picture of the process for dyeing rolls of fabric? How does it work? Of course, when we want to, to dye roll, Usually nowadays we use in our dyeing houses, what we have is mainly jet machines. It's a big, let's put it like, it's not a washing like a regular, like you have in, at, home, at our home, but let's put like a, a big machine and um, can have lots of process, sometimes pre-treatment process, for example, bleaching, sometimes mercerizing. So according to the quality that we want to achieve at the end, we can have a different pre-treatment. Can you give an example? Like when you say the quality, you mean in terms of the kind of color you want, right? Uh, for example, mercerizing in cotton fabrics. The mercerizing afterwards, the look of the fabric is completely different. So we can have more 
uh, more quality. It also uh, relies on the quality that we want to achieve later. Not all cotton fabrics need to moisturize, but many of them will undergo that process. So let's say I just want a solid blue t-shirt. Yes, for a solid blue t-shirt, you want the most simple process. So can have a very simple treatment process and afterwards it goes to the dye process itself. So the jet machines is put like this and we insert all different sorts of chemical products like alkali and acids and salt <laughs> and mixture of dyes in order to achieve the color. And you have dyeing phase and afterwards you can have a softener and you have the, the washing because you, you always need to wash it afterwards in order to remove the chemicals that didn't attach to the fibers. Mm -hmm. And after this phase of the dyeing, the, the rinsing of, of the waters, you can also add finishing at the end of it. It can be just drying or now we can go to some more chemical finishing, for example. But for a, a blue t-shirt, a plain one, you just do, and afterwards you can, you can just dry it and, and it'll be okay if you don't want to add anything else. So let's talk about finishing for a second. What do you mean by finishing? Well, finishing is uh, to improve the appearance and the quality of the fabric. Mm -hmm. And uh, how can we improve? Can we improve uh, technical or even performance uh, aspects of it? Can you give an example? For example, we can have uh, calandering that is essentially an ironing process and we add sheen to the fabric. <laughs> or we can have chemical finishing and we can have, for example, antibacterial Mm -hmm. to the fabric and afterwards it will have a function. For example, we can apply a flame retardant if we want a more technical mm -hmm. solution. So it's in this phase, in this finishing that we can have, uh, depending on what we have, we want to, to produce, we can have different finishing, chemical or, or mechanical ones in order to change the, the appearance and the quality of the fabric. What's the most common one that you would do? Nowadays, I think the trend is to have very dry fabrics. Almost all the brands, this soft jersey, like with a silky hand feel, no one is going for it. Nowadays, is all the fabric are looking very vintage, very dry, very... Yeah, and it's a funny thing to try to explain, right, to people who maybe haven't heard these words, like, what do you mean a fabric can be wet or dry? And I'm trying to think, like, what is the right way to describe it for people? But, like, dry fabric, it's, like, kind of, like, stiffer, like... Yes, exactly, stiffer, not soft. Yeah. Looking like a 90s. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's 90s. the way, looking like uh, the 90s, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay. I want to go back to dyeing after the garment has been assembled. Can you describe that process? Because I'm curious to understand how it compares to the process you just described for me. It's more or less the same. It's quite simple. We just need to pay attention that according to the type of fabric we are using, we may have more risks or not making the garment dye. If it is a very thin a very lightweight fabric, we may have the risk of having holes on the garment. The fabric may not be so strong to handle the garment tie. This is one of the things we have to take in consideration also when we are 
thinking of going to piece tie or garment tie. Mm. But a normal fabric, a normal 150, 180 grams jersey, it's you can do garment tie easily. But this, the process is the same. From a sustainability perspective then, like, you know, what are maybe some of the different considerations that somebody might think about? The reason I'm asking this, maybe I should just give a little bit of context, is these days you hear a lot about like, make to order. Like, oh, it's the, to reduce all of the excess inventory, we should just like produce only what consumers want and this will reduce the waste. And so people listening to this might think, oh, then we should just dye all the t-shirts after they've already been assembled to exactly the color that people want so we don't have any excess waste or inventory in the system. I think that's the first thing that all the customers think about it. Oh, okay, let's just dye what we sell. If it would be so easy, I think we wouldn't have any inventory. The problem is that nowadays no one is doing just a simple black or white or blue t-shirt. You are adding on top of it prints, embroideries, trims, zips, pockets, whatever. And some of these additional things you are getting on top of it may allow or not to choose the garment type process. If we are only talking about a plain t-shirt without anything at all and just put the labels on at the end, so it's perfectly you can choose. And in my opinion, maybe it would be better to go for the garment tie and only dye the units you are selling. Because on the roll dye, to achieve the minimum to have a correct dyeing, but the problem is that the products are not so easy, it's so simple nowadays. They are much, much more complicated. We started with a really simple example because I wanted to establish some sort of basics, right? But let's talk about a t-shirt that has some kind of graphic print or pattern on it. So we've taken the blue t-shirt, the blue t-shirt is made, but now we want to get some nice prints or graphics or pattern on it. What are different ways of doing this? Normally what we do is when the customers come with a sketch, we need to analyze everything before taking all the decisions according to the appearance of the print they want or the embroidery. We need to analyze and see what is the best solution for the garment itself, if it is roll dye or if it is garment dye. We can have multiple different kinds of prints. We can have a conventional print, as uh, the customers normally call it, that is can be with reactive uh, ink or pigment ink. The difference is that when you have a um, light color of fabric, you should go for the water print. When you have a dark colors, you normally you go for the pigment ink because it covers better, just because of that. And can you describe the difference between these two? You can use water print for light and dark fabrics. But the question is that the waterprint, it's not, it will not cover so well the dark colors of fabric. So that's why normally we go for the pigment uh, ink, just because of that. But maybe if, if the customer wants that it doesn't cover, because we have also that kind of situation. No, no, we like this appearance, like uh, it's not <laughs> very well covered. But so first, that's everything starts to really understand what, what kind of product they want. For somebody who's never seen a print house, right? Like, what might this look like? You Do you see rolls of fabric loaded onto printers? When people think of printing, they probably think of like a printer at their computer, right? 
Can you describe what this just physically looks like? We can talk about two different kinds of printing. We can print in a garment level or we can print in a roll level. So in a garment level, you have these uh, warehouses with big, big machines. It's like an octopus, more <laughs> or less. And each man of the octopus prints. It's like a carnival fair when you have all this. Yes. And so that is the most common uh, nowadays is, and, and still because all the other one in a row level, you call it all over print. Yeah. So you are you are printing the roll and only after you will cut the garment. It's, it means that the garment will be all over printed and the conventional print, the located print, it's the more common. Yeah, like if it's like on the middle of the t-shirt or something and it's like a logo or something, then it has to be placed after the panel's been cut. Yes. First you cut the garment mm -hmm. and the different parts of the garment. And sometimes we have one, the front of the garment that goes to print and the sleeve goes to the embroidery house. Mm -hmm. So if the garment has different kind of artworks on the, on the same garment. And regarding printing, you have several techniques. You can have the conventional uh, printing. What does that mean? You open the frames. The frames, yes. You have the frame. Like a screen printing. Yes, yes. In the conventional printing, you have screen printing. So you have screens and you'll have pre-treatment of the fabric and you'll have chemicals mm -hmm. that are used in the, the screen. And afterwards, you'll wash the fabric and digital printing. It's a completely different thing. Right. So something that's like repeating and that can be basically cut after the fabric has already been printed. But mainly divide by conventional printing and digital printing. And there can be similarities in the inks and the pigments that are, that are used. And of course, we use, like, like in the dyeing phase, we use different inks according to the type of, of the fabric that we are processing. So if we have cotton, we can have uh, reactive uh, or pigmentized. It's, and it's the same thing. And if I have dispersed, for example, if you are printing silk and we'll have those kind of differences in the processes considering the fabric that we are using. So it's the type of fabric that would drive the kind of printing the technique that you would use. Is that fair or not fair? Not necessarily. The artwork itself, first of all, if you have a very simple artwork, like saying New York, for example, for sure you will do it in a conventional printing. Mm -hmm. If you have this, like a picture of something, you for sure will go for the digital. The digital print is like a printer that we have at home. Yeah. It's where you can have the more realistic print on the garment. So normally we go for the digital print when we have these difficult artworks that we need to achieve a lot of colors and be very precise with the artwork itself and respect all the small details that it may have. Yeah, it allows high resolution, high resolution pictures. Mm. Yes, digital print is really expensive because it's, it's really like a big printer machine. Conventional print is the more cheap print so we only go for the digital print when it's really required by the customer or when the artwork itself requires to be digital print because it's really much much more expensive it's different you have no touch on the digital print also so if you pass your hand on top of a digital print you will not feel anything 
while on on the conventional print you feel the ink you feel it like on top of the fabric yes you feel the ink of course nowadays the technology is evolving and more and more and more techniques are appearing and even te techniques are being studied in order to offer also the appearance on the digital printing of course the those kind of techniques are not widely spread of course and i do believe that digital printing will be one of more common yeah more common yeah because if we look at the sustainability part and looking itself at the printing process you can say regarding the environmental impact it's lower that looking at the printing process of the conventional just looking at the, the printing process because we cannot forget the pre-treatment and the after treatment that is necessary but why do you let like, just talking about the printing why do you say that because The printing process itself can simplify water because it's just cleaning the belt in the cleaning of the heads of the printer heads. So in the printing process itself, it doesn't use lots of water. And in the traditional... But does screen printing use a lot of water? Because in, in the screen printing, of course, you have to wash the screens and you have the inks and all the formulation that you use and you have the cylinders and you use more waters to wash all of that. The process itself, looking just at, at the printing phase, it uh, has more, more water consumption. Yeah. So I actually realized I, I haven't actually asked you to define, but what is the difference between a pigment and a reactive? The intensity of the color is better with the reactive. We're using a reactive dye, you, the intensity of the color is much better. That's why people like choose most the, the reactive dyes, of course. But nowadays we have more and more, I know that are being developed solutions with pigment, quite promising with more color intense. And uh, of course the resolution is better. So it's ongoing process, of course, but usually People want reactive dyes because they want resolution, they want good colors at the end. So I want to talk about the vintage look, but let's say we have our blue t-shirt. It has a graphic on it. And now I also want it to look vintage. What are different ways that you could do that? What are some of the different production processes? First, vintage is really a trend. Right now, all the brands are following this vintage look, these 1980s uh, T-shirts ripped like it was from your grand-grandfather. <laughs> and, and so it is true. And it, it's a challenge to achieve that, to achieve an original look and not to look fake. But so you have this blue T-shirt, normal T-shirt. First, you can start doing some holes on the garment, small holes, on the top of the garment, on the bottom, on the sleeves. Like on the neckline, you mean? On the neckline, on the on the cuffs, just to look like if it was used. So how do you get those small holes? We do it on our dying house because they have these machines also to make this kind of ripped. Or you can do it by laser, is another option. If it is on the middle of the garment, you can do it by a devore print. Another option is a chemical that you make the artwork, you make the frame, you put a special chemical, it will eat the color and sometimes eat the fabric and creates a hole and you wash it afterwards. This is for me, maybe it is more original, is the dévoré because it really looks original. It's like the French word, like dévoré, like to devour, right? 
Yes, to eat. It to eats eat. the fabric. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to eat the fabric. <laughs> yes, to debris. So first you can start making some holes. Second, you can give a strong wash to the garment, like a fade-out wash or stone wash. Both fade-out and stones, they are made with stones. It's a big dyeing washing machine with stones inside. You put all the garments and you wash them for, with a high temperature and for quite some time. And so you will start to have this surface of the fabric being used, actually. So this is pretty nice. You can also do a vintage dye that is a kind of dyeing technique in a garment level that is already faded with this used look, used effect. You can give another step. You can do it spray to look old. You know, this black spray or brown spray in some parts of the garment to look like if it was dirty. <laughs> and what is it? Like some kind of ink or what? Yes, yeah, a spray. It's, you can have corrosion spray or pigment spray. Corrosion is when you have a black t-shirt or, for example, our navy t-shirt and you want it to be whitish in some parts. So in this case, you give a bleach spray or corrosion spray. When you want to add color, you have a white t-shirt and you want to put a black spray, like if it was an oily mechanical look, you need to give pigment spray. So I'm imagining like a person with a spray can. Is that a reasonable imagination? It's not a spray can. It's a spray gun. Let's a call spray it. Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So kind of like same as in, in say, like denim. Yes, it's, a, it's exactly the same. So nowadays we are doing all of this. You have these nice vintage T-shirts and sweatshirts you see on the big, big brands. And you see, oh, this really looks like the 90s. It looks like the, it was from 15 seasons ago. It is not. <laughs> and the difficult, I think, is that every single garment will be unique because the holes are made by a person. So it's a manual process. The spray is done by a person. It's also manual. The dyeing, no, they are doing that. We do it inside the machines, but you can never control if the stones will hit more one garment than the other. So this is what we need to realize nowadays when we are creating these vintage garments, is that they will be unique and one, one garment will never be exactly as the other one that is on the same store, just next to one next to the other. And... Maybe this is uh, the biggest challenge on a production level. Clients do need to understand that these differences will appear on the garments. It's like we want it to look old, but we want it to always look exactly the same old. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> we need a, a change of mindset. So how about from a sustainability perspective? Because one of the things that you have said to me before, and we mentioned it also already on this show, is that... You know, you really wish that people understood the production processes. And we were talking earlier about the plain blue shirt and you said, yeah, but like it really depends on what happens afterwards. You've described now a little bit what are some of these processes that might happen afterwards. But like from a sustainability perspective, like what would you want a designer to understand? Well, I would like to designer to understand then 
you can design, you can be creative, but you must make a compromise between the design and uh, how, how creative you want it to be and the sustainability, how sustainable you want to be. Because of course, in order to achieve your creation, you'll had six steps on it, for example. It's completely different than just doing a plain blue t-shirt, like you said at the beginning. If you had more processes, of course, you'll have more energy consumption. More chemicals, more water. More chemicals on, on it. So, yeah, so of course, it will be less sustainable if we want to, to put it like this. But what is less sustainable? I think first you need to define what is sustainable for you. What do you want to achieve? What are the boundaries that you need to establish? I want to measure the sustainability of my garment, which are the processes. You really need to define that because you can't uh, come to a factory and say, I want this, I want an, an embroidery and a print and a vintage effect and everything, and I want it to be sustainable. <laughs> you, can't put it, you can't put it like but this. But you've made it on organic cotton, so it's fine. Yes, yes. And th that's amazing. Well, I choose organic cotton and afterwards I'm going to to put a lot of chemicals on it, but it was an organic cotton. Well, you could use regular cotton if you wanted to, uh, because if you want to be sustainable, we wouldn't dye at all. We all use grayish fabrics. <laughs> we could always think like this, but we need to make a compromise. I want this garment to, or this collection to be sustainable, but according to this specific, because it will use less water, because when we choose dyeing techniques, we can, for example, select dyes that use less waters and these dyes are available on the market. We can have it, but what happens? Sometimes these dyes are only available in a very restricted color palette. So if you want to use it, you know these are your restrictions. And this happens with many dyeing techniques, for example, when you use natural dyes. You need to pay attention. Perhaps color fastness won't be as good as using synthetic dyes. Like the color won't stay in the shirt as well. Or maybe you have fewer colors available. Or maybe the color is not as bright, right? So it's like there are options out there, but you have to... You have to you need to be aware of they are. And like you said, set your boundaries. Yeah, set your boundaries and make compromises. How much creative I want to be how much sustainable I want to be and communicate this very correctly. Be honest with your consumer. I made these options and this is how sustainable my garment is. Please don't ask everything and afterwards ask it to be sustainable. Unfortunately, almost all the brands we work with, 15 brands in our company, in any brand, a natural dyeing pass the quality parameters of these brands. All of these brands are selling in United States and China. These are the most restrictive markets right now. So restrictive in terms of like the quality that they require, like the color fastness or things like that. Exactly. And the, the tests they make. So for example, the natural dye, it's a beautiful dyeing. It's really sustainable. But we couldn't use it with any customer right now because it doesn't pass the color fastness. Not even not achieving B clothes is very far from the quality requirements that the customers, they need to achieve in order to sell to these markets. I believe that the brands 
if it was only for themselves, for their purpose, they would probably accept this natural dye and try to communicate this to the final customer. Please be aware that this garment you are using may stain other pieces that you have close to your body or because it doesn't have a real color fastness. The color might come out in the wash or... Because it's a natural dye. But the problem is that these big brands are selling mainly right now to United States and China and you are not allowed to export goods to those two markets if you are not achieving the requirement. This is a big problem right now for the brands and for the designers especially. When you say not allowed... Who is not, I mean, it's the brand are setting their own requirements, right? The law. Oh, you mean legally? Legally to export, for example, to China, you need to make tests. It is called Gibi test. The supplier needs to send garments, fabrics, printing, embroideries, everything to make several and exhausting tests, chemical tests, appearance tests. Yeah, so these tests are not about color fastness necessarily, but about like... No, and color fastness also. Color fastness is one of the parameters that is analyzed on the lab tests that we have to make on these official labs that the customers ask us to send the garments. This is one of the steps. We have several steps and you need to pass all of them. So when a designer approaches telling us, oh, we need to be really sustainable. Please propose us different kinds of dyeing that are more sustainable because we want to go that way. We always have this handicap. Mm. That is, I know I cannot propose you this because it will not pass your quality requirements. And the quality requirements of the brands nowadays are simply following the rules from the countries they are selling. Mm. So at the end... The markets are imposing the quality requirements, not only the brands, but the markets they want to sell. Like the reach requirements in the EU, for example. Yes, it's one example. It's more easy to export to Europe, much more than to United States and China. But these are the two big markets right now for all the brands we have internally. Mm. Of course, we have the dyeing with natural dyes that I believe that in the future it will have stronger results. And we have mineral dyes as well. And now we are dyeing with microorganisms. We have dyeing process like chlorifix and so on that are very promising. Of course, nowadays they have a, a limited color palette, but I do believe that this will also increase. So, and also looking at the digital printing, like we have said before, uh, big advances are making this technology also, and I believe this will be the future. So there are lots of techniques being implemented and because we really need to look at the process, make good options when you select fibers, but please make also good options when you select the productive processes. Don't forget the process. Yeah, don't forget the process. Yeah, I think that everything needs to start when you start developing the first prototype. That will lead you to the all the other things that will come afterwards. And if you don't make the right choice, starting on the beginning, uh, it will be very difficult to change afterwards. But before that, who is creating the product needs also to, to think about because the solution is not to say, okay, all the suppliers need to have solar panels 
and all the suppliers need to have electric cars from now on and then we will be very sustainable. No, most of the part of being sustainable or not is when you are making the creation of the product itself. So I think it would be very, very good if all the designers could have a practical training. Sometimes companies like our are able to advise and to help. But maybe other small companies, they don't have the sustainable manager like Dionysia or a person like me with some experience production. They will just do what the brands demand. They will not advise anything. They will just simply do. So I think the investment should be honestly on the brand side. Because I think the suppliers, they are more the educational more, investment is what you mean. Yes, educational investment for sure. But it's not only designers, right? Because you also have all these sustainability professionals who have been trained in fields related to sustainability that also have no idea how products are made, right? And so I feel like it's the designers, but it's also all the sustainability professionals need to kind of invest in learning about these production processes because as you said it starts there yeah but well a professional needs to know that the learning hasn't stopped when they came out of the university you need to to keep improving you need to have more and more knowledge and if you don't have the knowledge next to your door you need to seek for it and go and i think that's it of course if the brands are more willing to to do that and give their help it will be better and sustainability are not numbers that you just analyze at the end i think sustainability is analysis is thinking about all the different processes and then you can try to understand how you can get it but it's not at the end that you will analyze the numbers and you say, oh, this is really nice. You are really sustainable. That is the end of the road. <laughs> that's the, I think that's the most powerful place to end this conversation because that is so true. When you talk to sustainability people, at least for me, I get the feeling that for them, sustainability is a data problem. And yes, I'm like, it's the filling the Excel sheet. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't get it, you know, because... For me, it's like, yeah, we need to understand the data, of course. But at the end of the day, this comes down to the production processes, to the act of like making something, you know, and we have to understand that act. We have to understand how that thing is made. And then the data will tell us a better story. But if we're going to focus now on getting all the data, like we can put in a lot of work to getting all the data, but it's not going to tell a very nice story because... <laughs> because of all the things that we've talked about. Well, I want to thank you both so much. It was such a privilege to get to talk to you both and just ask you about how these things work. So I feel really fortunate and I'm so grateful. Thank you very much. And thank you a lot for the invitation. Thanks for listening to Manufacture. I've been your host, Kim von der Weert, and if you learned something new from this episode and want to support the show, come say hi to me on LinkedIn or drop me an email on kim at manufacturedpodcast.com. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review us on the podcast app you're listening to this episode on. Take a look at the episode description for all the details and stay tuned for more.